Well, hi everyone, I'm Harper. I'm Jonathan. Um, and uh, welcome to Hawkeyes. Authentic knowledge and feelings. I feel it, I feel it. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. You want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead of saying, whoa. But I'm really not funny. No, no, no. guest today you may know him from the best of friends podcast or uh like me from his letterboxd it's jamie woodham hey hello welcome i've never been introduced using my letterbox and that's my my favorite piece of social media so i'm yeah very happy about it it's fun you do a you do a good job of um i feel like curating your letterbox to you you know say where you watched everything and you number everything and you know oh yeah yeah i just started doing that um not too long ago but Mm -hmm. i've it makes it more fun for me for some reason Mm -hmm. so it it seemed like a good move yeah yeah well jamie what's your what's your relationship like with ethan hawk have you seen a lot of his movies (laughs) um i think before having heard of this podcast i would describe myself as an ethan hawk fan uh I don't, I wouldn't claim to know uh, an awful lot about him or be any sort of, uh, you know, diehard uh, as far as like, you know, I I seek out Ethan Hawke performances or Mm -hmm. look forward to Ethan Hawke hitting theaters from time to time. But uh, I definitely, uh, I like the man. I like his work. Uh, I'm a really big fan of uh the before trilogy and um you know various other things he's done along the way so i i think he's definitely someone that i've come to uh expect good things from so like when i see that Mm -hmm. he's involved in something or that he's been working on something i'm usually like oh that'll be that'll be good probably Mm -hmm. uh which i think is all that most actors can hope for yeah, definitely. Sure. It's just to to have their name associated with generally good things. Yeah, I feel like for me, knowing that Ethan Hawke is in something doesn't necessarily mean that the movie is going to be good, but it means that we'll get a good performance from Ethan Hawke at least. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, well, cool. So the before before movies are your favorite, you would say, or of his? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just because they're um, they've just been, you know, up there in terms of like all movies for me since like college or so Mm -hmm. um where i i just think it's a i really like link later and i i just think as far as like trilogies go that's probably one of the stronger ones Mm -hmm. um and i i think like him and and delby are uh pretty great together so i that that whole trilogy i feel like is just kind of start to finish pretty pretty awesome yeah, it's pretty solid. I'm looking forward to rewatching Before Midnight because I uh, I wasn't actually like a s- super big fan of the Before movies when we first watched them because we watched them too close together and I found them to be really frustrating. 
Um, but the, uh, this time around, watching them further apart, I've grown to really appreciate them. Um, and I'm wondering if I'll feel the same way about Before Midnight or if I'll still be sour about that one because I think that's the one I had the most trouble with out of the three. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a little more difficult, yeah. Yeah, because they're bitter and they have children together. <laughs> yeah. I That's definitely the one I've seen the least probably, but I, I'm interested to to watch it again soon because... I, I feel like that's actually one that, speaking of Letterboxd, I've seen people revisiting mm-hmm. the most recently. Mm-hmm. And people are, you know, I'm kind of getting the consensus that it, you know, it actually, it ages really well. And I think it's probably one of those that every time we return to it getting a little older each mm-hmm. time, we can kind of see, you know, maybe like a little more truth in it or a little more truth at least to like, their relationship or what it's like to like grow in a relationship. Um, and so I'm like you said, I'm, I'm interested to check it out again just for that reason. Cause I, it, it wasn't, I'd probably say it was like the weakest of the trilogy just comparatively, but uh, I, I think it, it probably has its own merits that, that are waiting to be uncovered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, so uh fan of his movies but you don't know too much about ethan hawk's life right like, not a whole lot no yeah. i know um well i know that he lived at the chelsea hotel mm-hmm. for some time and uh i know that he was uh married to uma thurman for a while mm-hmm. um but that's probably that's probably about it i i had uh an ex that was a really big ethan hawk fan but i guess i didn't I guess I didn't mind that for what it was worth at the time because I, I never really got, <laughs> I never really got my own like lesson on him uh, mm-hmm. out of that. I just it was I was like I was like oh she's like really crazy about Ethan Hawke, um, but aside from watching his movies, I never mm-hmm. I never got like any any lectures on him or anything. Yeah, well I thought that uh, <clears throat> well the movie we're talking about today is Chelsea on the Rocks, which is like a half well it's mostly a documentary with some like. Yeah. Uh, light narrative light stuff. narrative scenes yeah some interesting narrative scenes <laughs> yeah yes interesting is the word and um and so we do get a little bit more um information about ethan hawk uh during like about his his stay at the chelsea hotel which is interesting because we knew from previous i mean one because you know, we know a lot about Ethan Hawke at this point, but two, because we had watched his previous movies, um, Chelsea Walls and Straight to One, which is a short. Um, and okay. Chelsea Walls was his first feature length film that was um, about it was it was kind of like a loose narrative about it felt really spiritually similar to this documentary, actually, but a movie, but a narrative. And it's uh, about different people that lived at the Chelsea walls, but they're all fictional people, but they're inspired by real things that happened, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and then straight to one is like a little, it's a short and it's just one scene that's about a couple that's living at the Chelsea hotel. So, so Ethan Hawke has a pretty, a solid foundation in Chelsea hotel media. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's definitely something that was obviously, formative to him and mm-hmm. important to him enough that it like you said those were did you say those were his first two that he directed yeah so yeah, that his, his first two works yeah cool. his first i think it was his first short and his first feature yeah wow yeah so he's 
obviously a big Chelsea fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history there. Uh, and um, I think, and I'm sure it's really meaningful to him. The one thing that really stood out to me at the very beginning of this movie, it's like, uh, you know, shots of the hotel. And one of the shots is of a plaque that says dedicated to Dylan Thomas. Mm-hmm. And it was just very Ethan Hawke right in my face. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've had multiple. Dylan lots of Thomas Dylan Thomas has come before. up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jonathan, what did you think of this movie? <laughs> it was it was fine. It was a little bit, you know, I think a little over the top. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. its direction approach. But, um, you know, I, I, I guess I, I mean, I guess I kind of appreciated that they weren't necessarily trying to go for, like, a strict, like, arc necessarily because mm-hmm. you know there are some documentary like you know if you're like uh michael moore or something like you there's a point that you're getting to yeah but a documentary like this isn't exactly like that it's more kind of but then at the end you do kind of see that there's something that they were trying to discuss which is the closing of the hotel yeah or well there's changing of management right which yes. was affecting all of the residents yes yeah yeah, so I think in terms of, I think really, yeah, that was like the message was like all of these people and all of this history has happened here at the Chelsea Hotel and, you know, these evil rich board members are, are ruining uh, ruining our way of life, which has been maintained for, you know, it's a century, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, this one's kind of hard to like talk through, I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's not really uh there's there's not really like a narrative or a through line as much as like he he's kind of it I got the impression, I'm sure by design that like he's kind of just floating through the hotel like popping in wherever like the doors are open and kind of talking to people. Um and I mean, it, it definitely works because it's it, it definitely gives you a sense of the the kind of place it is, the kind of people that live there, mm-hmm. and like the the environment that it fosters. Um, but I think the downside to that is that it can it can feel kind of disjointed, mm-hmm. and it and you know it, like I mean for me, uh, one thing that I noticed was like just by the time I kind of got interested in the people that were talking or like the stories they were telling it was kind of like on to the next person mm-hmm. uh, right and uh but i, I it, that is just a you know a, a style of this sort of sub subgenre of documentary but I, I i think it was it was effective for what it was but yeah it was like there were some people it was kind of hit or miss because like, there were some people where i was like well I don't really know what this person's talking about. They seem a little off their rocker. And then there were some people where I was like, oh, this this person's actually telling, you know, a pretty intriguing story. I wish they would have, you know, talked to talk to him or her a little more. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And I think that's one of the appeals of, like, a talking head-style documentary where it's like, say what you will about the format, but it does lend itself to being sort of more naturally able to be followed because you're seeing the same people over and over again mm-hmm. and you're getting the same people's take on like whatever the subject within that 
period of time is. Um, yeah. And so you kind of get, it is a little easier to structure it. Whereas this one, you have like big chunks with one person at a time sometimes. And then you kind of move on to that, like you said, and it's hard to, it's hard to really feel like any of those things are that connected to each other. Yeah. I think it was even for the, you know, the kind of loosey goosey style that it had. I, I do think it, it could have benefited from some sort of through line or even just some sort of like organization mm-hmm. with like what they were talking about and who they were talking to. Cause I, that that's the thing that it felt most lacking for me was, you know, I think there's, there's a way to do this kind of documentary that I think a lot of films have done where you still kind of get what they're doing and what it is you like they want you to know. And I, I just didn't think that was really there in this case. Like it, you know, it wasn't like they were starting by talking to like the oldest residents and moving forward in time mm-hmm. or they weren't talking to like a certain type of resident and then a different type. Like it, it all just seemed very random. So I never knew, uh, like you were saying earlier, I never knew, you know, what impression they were trying to leave with me until the very end. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, I guess they're saying that this most recent change is a bad one. But aside from that, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't really, it didn't feel anything beyond like, this is a big, crazy building where a lot of big, crazy people have lived. Yeah. The yeah. one thing that I did know, which as a viewer was kind of like, I understand that the whole thing was about getting rid of like convention, I guess, you know, convention of documentary <laughs> filmmaking convention of, yeah. you know, living and, you know, all that stuff. But, um, uh, I just wish that there had been like little subtitles with people's names. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, yeah. That was the big one. Yeah. I, cause I, you didn't, you never knew who anyone was. And I'm sure a lot of them were like, if you were people with Wikipedia pages, you know, like I would have been pretty interested in like learning more about all the people and like connecting those people to the stories that they were telling. Right. Um, But you just weren't really able to like place anyone because they didn't tell you who anyone was. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of an issue for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was definitely a big one because there were several people that I was just like, oh, that guy's, it's that guy, or that guy's familiar, or like, mm-hmm. who is that? And yeah, aside from a handful of the, like, clearly famous people or people that, you know, sort of mention their name, it, it, it did get a little confusing. Yeah, and some of the famous people, like Dennis Hopper, who's, like, interviewed, I guess, I don't know if he's interviewed for this movie. I feel like I missed Dennis Hopper. Like, but, I knew he was going to be in it, and then I yeah. just... Yeah, I didn't spot him. And it's understandable because it was like such a short, it was like a five second thing. It was really weird to me. Like, because it's, I, if I remember correctly, they actually interviewed, because they did have some like archival footage, like the ones of Andy Warhol and stuff, who's Mm -hmm. obviously like dead by that point. But um, there were some that I I thought it was like an actual interview of him. And it was so, the appearance was so brief. I was like, you had Dennis Hopper, like, why not ask him some more questions? You know what I mean? But, yeah. Very weird. But we do get a little bit of time with Ethan Hawke. Um, and towards the beginning, uh, there's a pretty fun quote from him where he says, I remember when I lived here, I'd invariably tell people, oh, I live over at the Chelsea. And they'd say, oh, I don't go there. I can't do that to myself anymore. Which I thought was pretty fun. Yeah. Very Ethan Hawke, very Chelsea Hotel, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was great. I remember because that's pretty early on in the documentary. And I remember at that point I was like, oh, okay, like maybe maybe this uh, maybe they will be able to pull this off. But then I, I feel like about halfway through it, it kind of goes off the rails a little bit, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because at the beginning, it's kind of like feels like it's situating itself as an important part of New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like that's kind of the point at the beginning. Because you have that quote and several others, which are kind of about like the notoriety of the Chelsea Hotel. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, like the... Oh, sorry. I would say the story about like Arthur Miller and... Mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe, which was good because it's like, oh, those are people and personalities that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then you also, there's that segment that's about um, that one woman who lived there when 9-11 happened. And she and the, <laughs> she talks about like her experience of being there during 9-11. And then uh, they have actual like video footage um, from the morning, like from the roof of the Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's like this is this is in new york like this is this building is new york basically mm-hmm. is what it felt yeah. like they were trying to get across at the beginning but then like you said it kind of unravels right i did like i did like that particular person because she seemed like there were a lot of people in the documentary that seemed kind of like i don't know what the word is but their thoughts were <laughs> in in their <laughs> they made sense to them uh-huh. but a lot of her a lot of the stuff that she said seemed like very kind of grounded in like practical realities and it was kind of refreshing to hear her say like oh my you know my daughter was like oh are you gonna move out of the hotel she's like no i like it here you know like was there she was very kind of like practical about things um and she wasn't really i don't know she wasn't as kind of obsessed with the idea of like the spirituality of the like Uh hotel and things like that which is fine like i mean that all that stuff is interesting but it does get a little bit like tiring to hear people say like the hotel sits on a vortex, which is an actual yeah. quote that someone said yeah. in the movie. Yeah, I, yeah, like you said, she was interesting because it was she was a surprisingly normal person. Like, not mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't think anyone in the documentary seemed, like, super normal, that, <laughs> you know, whatever that means. But it was interesting going from, like, um, you know, a lot of people that are, like, you know, radical thinkers and like bohemian artists and stuff and then it just went to her and she just seemed like more or less like a regular new yorker and Mm -hmm. you know she's sitting there like in her normal kitchen drinking coffee talking about how she thought it was a movie uh Mm -hmm. but yeah it was was interesting to see that that like ironically was the most you know captivating part i think was whenever they would sort of turn the camera on these regular like residents. Yeah, these regular people who lived there yeah. kind of alongside, you know, Sid and Nancy and uh mm-hmm. all these all these crazy like pop culture characters. Yeah, and I think that the juxtaposition, like you were saying, between like the regular people that were living at this hotel, which by this point was kind of like a little bit run down. You have these long term residents who are not like, you know, necessarily artists or anything like that they're just like regular people um and the juxtaposition between those people and like these like very ultra famous people that stayed at this hotel at this time is interesting but i don't know if the movie quite realized that that was what was interesting about it like i think that it could have like leaned into that kind of contrast a little bit more 
between yeah. like the normal people that have been there for a long time and the kind of like the Sid and Nancy type people. Um, yeah, I feel like just a, I mean, honestly, just like a, a little bit more cohesion in some way mm-hmm. would have been great or even like I said earlier, like some sort of organization of like all the stuff we were seeing. Cause it like, it, there's no shortage of potential stories you could tell here, whether it's like this place is New York in a nutshell, look at all these different characters or mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. place is like a paradise for creatives throughout the decades or, you know, whatever. But it, yeah, it just didn't, um, it didn't seem like it had any sort of direction as far as like how things were edited or structured or, you know, I didn't feel like there was ever any sense of like, oh, well, this story came before this one because of this reason. Like, it, it all just seemed pretty randomized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of Sid and Nancy, so when we get to that part, <laughs> that's the part that's like narrative. You know, there's right. actors playing Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Um, I don't know who those actors were, but I did know Adam Goldberg and Giancarlo <laughs> Esposito who were playing their yes. drug dealers. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> Which was pretty wild to see. Um, I think that that's, uh, you know, Sid and Nancy Chelsea Hotel death scene, or Nancy death scene is was made pretty famous in the movie Sid and Nancy. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see this version of it, mm-hmm. um, which is a little different. <laughs> um, it's it's very, like, dramatic. Everything's very big. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's just yeah yeah it's a lot yeah i don't i don't i don't know that it worked exactly i think that <laughs> i think they maybe spent a little too much time on it and then also i don't think that it was acted entirely convincingly um so yeah it it really felt like a i don't know like it, it really just felt like dateline mm-hmm. like yeah like reenactment because it wasn't I don't like it. It was like oddly cagey. Like they didn't, they didn't really do too much or say too much. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm a, I'm a particular fan of reenactments in general. I had mm-hmm. like before, uh, before we started recording, we were actually talking about the, the things we watch in real life, uh, in, <laughs> in our normal lives. And, uh, one of my big ones, like for me and my fiance is, we or we watch like really trashy reality TV, mm-hmm. and then we also watch uh, a lot of true crime, both like uh, you know drama and documentary and stuff. And even in that realm, I'm I'm never really too much into reenactment because I feel like it, it it it's oddly like narrative in like what should be you know like documentary stuff. Not that they can't be uh you know sort of mixed and mingled but uh, i think i i just have like a predisposition to uh to being turned off by it and yeah this one was really it was just really weird because it was also the way it was shot and everything it took me a minute to where i was like is this like a scene from sid and nancy because i haven't seen sid and nancy Mm -hmm. or is this like a scene from like a tv movie or are they doing this like for the documentary and you know, by the time I saw who all was in it, I was like, oh, okay, this is mm. some sort of reenactment. Yeah. But yeah, it, it kind of, 
it 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 didn't feel totally successful to me. Jonathan, do you remember in Sid and Nancy in that in the end of Sid and Nancy, does he kill her? He kills her in that yeah. movie, right? Yeah. yeah. So this is a different. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, read because so like she he either passed out and someone else attacked her or he attacked mm-hmm. her. Right. Um, you don't see you it know. happen. Yeah. 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 So, um, but in this one, they make it the the story that they're telling is pretty clearly that he didn't do it. That it was like these other uh, guys. And there's someone one one of the residents is is telling the story, and he says, um, "Yeah, that uh, this drug dealer that he knew went past him was like, oh, I wouldn't go up there if I were you.' And he went up mm-hmm. there, and it was like, uh, you know, bloodbath." Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I thought that what was more interesting than the reenactment itself was the the way it was told by the residents that surrounded it. Yeah, because yeah. there was that guy, and then there was, um, and then he. I think he was maybe talking about another woman who lived there. Yeah, and who, he was saying that she had heard stuff happening, and she didn't know if it was just like regular weirdness or if something really bad. Yeah, because you never know. And then she ended up feeling guilty about it later. Mm-hmm. And then he was also talking about how. Yeah, I think he was saying that someone else had, that something else had happened, and then oh yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember, but yeah, that that was yeah. what he was saying. The main thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that, uh, and that's why I feel like that, all of that stuff, which I feel like is genuinely interesting, was sort of overshadowed by the, the reenactment, which again, yeah. uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, since they don't have any sort of like, text cues on screen like we didn't know if it was a we didn't know if it was a reenactment we didn't know if it was a scene from something Mm -hmm. uh and i feel like i spent i spent the you know the brain power trying to figure that out and trying to follow what was happening that like i would have much rather used uh you know just hearing these people's stories especially when it especially when the stories were like oh like we are all the people who kind of saw and kind of heard what happened with Sid and Nancy. Uh, and I, I feel like they're, you know, like you said, the, the other residents, uh, takes on what had happened. That, like that was the real takeaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel like that would have been the, you know, the more enthralling thing to, to kind of focus on. That was more, uh, interesting, I think, than, than like, Oh, look, here's, Here's a note, noted actor Adam Goldberg and yeah, Giancarlo was, Esposito. That was so weird and mm-hmm. random. Their casting. I mean, and Adam Goldberg's popped up before. He was a, a he's like an extra basically in Before Sunrise on the train at the yes. beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the other thing about the reenactment is that they didn't they didn't fully commit to it because they only kind of used it with, if I remember correctly, they only kind of used it with the Sid and Nancy stuff. And they talked about, I mean, the Chelsea Hotel has been home to, like, so many famous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that they only kind of, like, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, like, all these other people, they only kind of wanted to talk about, they, they spent the time with the reenactment on, like, on two people that it just didn't seem like, like, yes, that it's 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 a notable event, obviously, but, like, is, is, it, is it more you know it's just like if you i feel like if you're gonna go for the reenactment thing then you have to use it yeah like why didn't other people as well 
Yeah, totally. Like, why didn't we see a fake Arthur Miller, mm-hmm. you know, trying to hide from a fake Marilyn Monroe and, you know, like you said, a fake, uh, you know, fake Bob Dylan and fake yeah. Cohen and all these, all these other people that are, uh, yeah, it, it, I feel like it was another, it was kind of just symptomatic or emblematic, whichever is the correct word in this case. It, it was representative of, you know, the, the bigger problem with the, the whole thing was that it didn't, it didn't really feel like it knew what it wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, I, that's why I think you make a good point. Like if it, if they would have just leaned into the reenactment thing, you know, that could have worked on its own. Then we could have seen, you know, a lot of different reenactments of people's stories as they're telling them. Whereas in the current version, you know, for most of the pe- most of the stories, we're just looking at a talking head, you know, it's, you know, we're listening to people, you know, recount their memories. And then occasionally you just get this jarring cut to like actors you recognize uh, <laughs> playing out these little scenes and everything. It, yeah. it seemed like it was, it was really skewed by the, like I, my guess was like how close and interested the director was in in various people and stories. Like I definitely got the sense that Ferreira was like, like he was, he either knew like Sid uh, better than some of these other people, or he was just more interested in that time frame or that particular story. And so that's why that got so much more coverage and got the reenactment and everything, as opposed to like, you know, someone he might not have known as well, that also lived in the hotel and then he's just like, ah, oh, you know, and there's this person too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping we get some Chelsea hotel content in this, uh, Chalamet Bob Dylan movie. That's going to happen. <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it definitely seems like the kind of, uh, the kind of place where like any, any biopic, like even like a Bob Dylan thing, like there has to be at least like a scene at the Chelsea, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's like a stop along his journey. <laughs> yeah, like him and Ginsburg just hanging out there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, there was one other uh, reenactment was like Janis Joplin just kind of uh, like generally partying. Yeah. And yeah. then being in a bathroom looking upset. Yeah. Yeah. But that that was just kind of like a little like... But it wasn't like an event. It was, it was just like, yeah. a, like a little scene. Like yeah. the the... You know, the Sid and Nancy thing was, like, an entire, like, they baked, like, a narrative into it. Like, yeah. a little story. Whereas with Janis Joplin, it was just kind of, like, <laughs> she's just hanging out, you know. And that's... Yeah, I think there was, there was somewhat of a narrative in that, though. And it was, like, a two-part thing. It was, like, one part, and then it cut to more to people talking again, and then mm-hmm. it cut back to it. Mm-hmm. And the first part, it was, like, Grace Jones was, like, the actual Grace Jones was the actor in the... Right in the bit and she goes to the door and she's like you have to stop partying because i have to go to work early and oh, then it yeah, ends yeah, yeah. i remember that yeah yeah and then um the second part is like janice joplin is um something happens and she's upset and then grace jones goes and checks on her yeah yeah i think that i think that you know to the point of like it being harder to follow like i think that also yeah those clips made those scenes made it harder to follow overall definitely yeah yeah, and also, I mean, I, I could be uh, very, you know, off base or, or wrong about this, but my, but I, I don't know. I'm used to just 
throwing stuff out on a podcast. So I'll just, I'll just guess, but I, I just really got the impression that it, that so much of this was skewed by, you know, who the director was close with, who he had these relationships with, you know, even going back to, like you mentioned earlier that, uh, that Dennis Hopper is in the film for five seconds and it doesn't really even look like he knows he's in the film. If it was like, I, I wonder if it, you know, if this was like a more, like large scale proper documentary on this, like if they could have gotten kind of equal access to all these different interesting characters and all these different people who have lived there, as opposed to, you know, this felt like a very, um, like a, a very like guerrilla style, like I'm just going to call in people I know that still live there or people I've stayed in contact with who lived there before and, you know, sit down and talk with some people. Uh, not that that's like, better or worse but that was uh that, that was the impression that i was left with afterwards was it mm-hmm. seemed like a very personal uh you know look into the chelsea and a select group of people as opposed to like a very co- like you know comprehensive uh, overview of it mm-hmm. right yeah yeah and i think that's just like the kind of thing about that style of documentary is that like you know, it's like the it's like there's there's this thing that I've referenced before where Ethan Hawke talks about like Richard Linklater and says like, oh that he that Richard Linklater has inspired a lot of bad art because he can do <laughs> he can do what he does so well, and he makes it look easy that like oh yeah. we're just following these regular people and that's interesting enough on its own but you realize that like the amount of care and thought that actually goes into it and I think that's kind of the problem with like a documentary like this where it's like all right, well, we'll just follow these people. We'll just see what's going on and that'll be interesting on its own. But to actually pull off a documentary like that takes a tremendous amount of thought and skill, even if it just seems like guerrilla style or just like, you know, free and loose. The re- the way that it stays interesting yeah. is like... And so the, it, it kind of made me think of like the Bob Dylan documentary, the D.A. Pennebaker mm-hmm. uh, Dylan documentary. Don't look back. Don't look back, yeah. Don't look back, yep, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And that one is interesting because like it's it doesn't seem structured but the but it actually is structured. Um so yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I think that's uh I think that's definitely true of uh most people especially in like in film in particular where you know when someone is good at what they do, they can they can create the illusion of an ease to it. Yeah. And I think, you know, even just like with documentary, like you were saying, like, I think it's something that we've seen, uh, you know, the first thing that came to mind with me was with Michael Moore's documentaries. I think he inspired a lot of less talented, uh, documentarians to sort of think like, Oh, I can just, I can just get a microphone and put myself in front of the camera and, you know, make my argument baldly to the audience without, you know, realizing that, you know, more, more found success in doing that by, you know, very strategically presenting an argument and sort of showing you the other side and, you know, giving you a, like a a false sense of, you know, seeing the whole picture before sort of, you know, pulling the rug out from under it and showing you that, you know, we're all being conned or we're all being led astray by, you know, whatever authority figure. And 
I, I think there's a lot of people, like you said, like Linklater is a good example. I feel like the same thing happened with like Kevin Smith and, you know, in anyone that creates like a, a delusional uh, ease or like casualness with yeah, what they do yeah, sure. kind of gets people thinking, oh, yeah, I can do this or, you know, even with after like tangerine and everything where people are like mm-hmm. oh i can make a i can make a movie on my iphone yeah. like no problem and it's like well he still made a movie like he he didn't treat it any different than mm-hmm. a normal movie he just used that camera <laughs> yeah okay. and i think ultimately like that kind of that approach like the 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 sense like you know with sean baker like making the movie on his iphone mm. like ultimately i think it's i think anything that kind of democratizes like film in that way, I think is ultimately a positive thing, but I think you have to be mindful of the fact that like, it's not going to be easy. You can't just like take your iPhone out and expect that it'll be interesting. Whatever you create will be interesting. You have to like do the work and create these characters or do the research if it's a documentary and all that kind of stuff. So I think that like, you know, any, any like person that can inspire other people to create art, I think it's a good thing, but you do have to be, I think you just have to consider like what what you're actually what these people actually accomplish and like what they're actually uh, doing with their with their work and not get caught up in like you know to go back to the Michael Moore example not just get caught up in the scenes where he's like you know standing in front of a building with a bullhorn yelling Mm -hmm. like those scenes don't work unless he's actually done the homework and done the Mm -hmm. research on like what he's saying Um, yeah I mean I I think with all these things, it what it kind of boils down to is you can't you can't look at these things as shortcuts. You know, they're not these aren't choices or uh, you know decisions that people made uh, in order to get around doing the work or get right, around right. you know doing the research or putting the time and the thought into it. It's they're they're different methods, and like you said, anything that that democratizes filmmaking more or makes it more accessible or makes it easier for people who want to do it to do it. Like the, you know, those things are all positives, but uh, you know, they shouldn't be looked at as, you know, Oh, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a movie on my iPhone because it'll be faster and easier. It's, you know, it, it should be because it's like, Oh, if that's, you know, if that's the, the method that's available to you, then great, you can still do this. But, you know, hopefully that those kind of things don't, you know, take precedent as, uh, as, you know, this will just get me done faster, or, you know, this is just something I can do instead of, you know, doing shot composition or doing all these other things that, you know, should always be considered as, you know, part of the, the procedure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, how would you guys approach, approach this doc? If you were going to make Chelsea and the Rocks, <laughs> what would, like, what would you do? I might have started with the, like, the quote unquote, like, thesis of the movie, which is the fact that, that there's a monumental change that's going to be happening at this hotel. And it, it did actually, you know, this happened, the movie was being made before what happened happened, but the hotel did end up closing. Um, Mm. and they did like, I think as of now, everyone that lived there is now out. So 
they slowly like over the course of when did this movie come out uh 2008 i think yeah so over the course of the last like 10 12 years they they have pushed everyone that was in there out um and so the movie was right about that that fear that it seemed to have about that kind of thing happening um and so i might have started with that that there's like this kind of change that is and what this change could mean um but i don't know it's it's i feel like it's a hard movie to make because like it's so much has happened at this hotel over so many years that you feel like either you try to talk about all the interesting things and then you lose focus or you zone in on like a particular thing and then it you're leaving out some of the other interesting aspects i did think one of the more interesting things about this movie was the way that they talked about the guy that owned the hotel before Stanley, the manager. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. I, yeah, that I think was that was, that was like yeah. what they, I think he, they kind of like tried to focus in on that, but it just wasn't totally successful the way they did it. But I would have been more interested in kind of like tracking Stanley's history throughout the Chelsea yeah, hotel. Sure. And, yeah. um, you know, like using him as like maybe a, a central, like a through line. Yeah, because we get these glimpses of like who he like the the fact that there was this guy I don't remember who it was but some I don't know if it's a writer or an artist or something but mm-hmm. someone who like owed a bunch of money because he just <laughs> never paid his rent uh-huh. and he left he ended up leaving the hotel and like Stanley was like oh come back even though like, yeah by by all accounts like this is a terrible person to have as a tenant. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted to come back because he just liked, like, he liked him. He thought it was an interesting artist and all that stuff. And then Ethan Hawke talks a little bit about it as well, how, where he, like, returns to the hotel after uh, he's talking about, hey, I was in Paris and I was making a movie and my marriage was falling apart. Um, it's before Sunset. Yeah, and he's retur- <laughs> so he's returning to, uh, to the Chelsea and he knows that he's, like, he, he kind of gets this idea that he's, he's going to let him stay there for mm-hmm. at least a little while yeah so stanley says like yeah i'll let you stay here for a month for free while you get your marriage back together and ethan hawk was like i'd kind of like something in writing because i know you're gonna like charge me an arm and a leg after this free month <laughs> right, right and he's like oh no no no, it's fine just come stay here you'll figure your shit out and then he ended up staying there for much longer and it was very expensive yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I thought that was fun. And one line from that, though, that I wrote down was uh, he was talking about Stanley and he said it talking about the Chelsea Hotel was a living organism as long as he was running it, which I thought was nice. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a like everyone kind of talks about their relationship with Stanley. And one of those people is Gabby Hoffman, uh, who grew up in the Chelsea Hotel. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was talking about how she was like five or six years old, like leaving to go to elementary school. And yeah. he'd yell out at her like, hey, tell your mom she has to pay her rent or else I'll kick you oh, guys out, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she, and she was like, yeah, no, that was like scary. I was like five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought I, yeah. think that, I thought that kind of stuff was interesting too. Like just the, just like what it's, I mean, what it's like to like live in a hotel and like what that what that means and yeah yeah i mean i, I think it was it, it definitely could have helped to have like that that sort of central drive of you know someone like him who was kind of described as like the heart of 
the hotel. Um, but yeah, similarly, like I like that stuff was interesting because I don't, I feel like we were kind of dropped in like the, you know, the middle of the ocean as far as like the start of the movie. Cause it, we, you know, we, I don't have, there wasn't any sense of like, here are your bearings. Here's a, you know, a general overview of what this place is. Like I, you know, I didn't know very much about the hotel in general going mm-hmm. into it. And I feel like you're just kind of dropped in and you're just constantly trying to figure it out. So I feel like even, even if it, if they hadn't gone like a chronological route of like, you know, this is how it started out. This is how it was back in the day. And then it became this sort of cultural icon. Uh, I think like you proposed, like, you know, starting with like, ever since Stanley took it over, this is kind of what it organically became, or, you know, this is the kind of place it was. It was a place where, you know, people didn't stay like they do in a normal hotel. It was like people lived here, like kids grew up here, you know, artists, uh, you know, rose to fame here and then returned once they, you know, sort of came crashing back down and, you know, all these different things. Like, I, I feel like, you know, sort of going about it that way uh, would have been a lot more helpful for the audience at least. Yeah. 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 I thought to me, like it, it, like it is a, you know, it's, it's an apartment, but it's a hotel and to me, like the, like what I think about is like people like moving in and out, you know, and like yeah. the stairs are like really a central hub. They do kind of visit a few times, but for like if I were in my ideal world, no budget making this movie, um, <laughs> like I w- for me it would be animated, like the mm-hmm. sequence, like it, the stairs, and there would be some kind of like animated sequence where you're on the stairs and then you go to a specific apartment and then the door opens and then you like learn a story about something that happened in that apartment, you know. Yeah, yeah, I was that's... kind of thinking, I was kind of just thinking like we, I would have been nice to see a little bit more of the hotel itself. Mm-hmm. Like ironically, yeah. I feel like you don't actually see that much of it. You're in a few people's rooms. It's very you see stationary. The stairwell. Yes, exactly. You're in this, you see the stairwell a little bit. And it, most of the time, most of the movement comes with this guy, the Milos Foreman, the director. Mm, Milos Foreman, yeah. Yeah, and like you see him move around a little bit, but he's like mostly in the lobby. And then you see him like go to the stairs for a bit. And they're just standing on the stairs and talking. And I think like, yeah, like you said, like, I think it could be because uh, I because I feel like to, to, going back to the discussion of the um, reenactments, like I feel like the reenactments, like a lot of the times people directors will use or any in any documentary, they'll use reenactments because like sort of as a crutch to add like visual, a visual element to the screen um, because you know, if it's just like a talking heads documentary, like you, there's not always a lot of movement. And so to do that, you add, you're, you're trying to add some visual uh, aspects. But I think that with this, like with the Chelsea hotel, with the subject, there is this baked in visual thing, which is the hotel itself, which like, Mm -hmm. if you had spent more time, like just being around the hotel, you wouldn't have needed to worry as much about like having to do reenactments or having to do these other things. And like yeah. one of the more interesting things for me was just seeing people's like rooms and things like that. But the only amount we get to really see of it is like wherever they chose to sit for the interview yeah, and whatever's yeah. behind them. But we don't really see much else of their rooms or of the hotel itself. And so like this idea, you know, it's like a little bit of a cliche, but like the, you know, New York as a like, character or whatever, like that treating that 
treating the hotel in that way, like treating the hotel as a character, because as much as they say the hotel is a living organism, they don't, the documentary doesn't really treat it like that, which mm-hmm. I think was kind of like a, a, an oversight. And I think they could have, they could have made it feel more, the hotel feel more alive. And like, like you were saying, like focusing on Stanley, mm-hmm. I think would have made the hotel feel more alive because he was there for so many years that it would have kind of linked the like, the the life the organism of the hotel like quote unquote with stanley an actual living person mm-hmm. um, and i think that could have made it kind of feel more made the hotel feel more alive and it would have gotten rid of the need for them to like try to rely on these other visual elements like the reenactments mm-hmm. it yeah was- definitely Oh, sorry. Oh, no. That's, I was just going to say, it was it was fun that Milos Foreman was in this. I had no idea that he had lived at the Chelsea. And, <laughs> um, you know, and he's, like, he's major. Like, he directed One oh, Flew yeah. Over the Cuckoo's Nest and mm-hmm. Hair and Amadeus. Like, that's that's a huge... I mean, a lot of huge people, you know, lived in the Chelsea. Which, I that, like, to me, like, you needed more people like Milos Foreman in there uh-huh. to, like, yeah. be like, oh, no big deal. I'm here, <laughs> though, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that would have been the uh that seems like the the natural way to do it if uh you know, if you're saying like, you know, no budget, you can do whatever you want, like it it seems like one of the most interesting things would be like just getting a bunch of really uh successful or famous or influential people and just get them back like in the halls and have them walk around and show you, you know, where they live, show you where they hung out in the stairwell, show you, you know, the the kitchen that they would make their, like, top ramen in and, and mm-hmm. all that shit. And, you know, just get people to sort of uh, trace back their own footsteps in this, you know, this historical hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I had no budget, I'd also get a better camera. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> And get more than one, so you can get some B-roll, and yeah. we can see we can see the rest of these people's apartments. That's, totally. I mean, yeah. like like he was saying, I there were multiple times while people were telling a story that I was more interested in like the room around them, and I was just sitting there, kind of wondering and you know letting my mind wander because I'm just like, oh, I wonder what the rest of this room looks like, or mm-hmm. oh, this person looks like they collect a bunch of weird shit. Like I want to see the, the mantle over there, you know, yeah, yeah. over their fireplace and everything. See what, see what kind of other stuff they have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. One, one feature that I thought was interesting was the El Quixote, the Spanish restaurant that's like attached slash next door. Uh-huh. Um, that was, is that where in Chelsea walls where, uh, there, that musical performances, Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, I would have liked to know more about that. Why is that attached? Uh What's going on there, you know? Um, But, yeah, there are some nice shots of, like, the exterior. Like, the two of them side by side. Mm -hmm. So, that was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and then I think the biggest Ethan Hawke thing is the ending, where he plays a song that he wrote while he lived there, which is called the Chelsea Lullaby we see in the credits. Yeah. Um, That was so Ethan Hawke. (laughs) I was about to say, that's a very, very big Hawke move. Yeah, Yeah. I'll I'll try to 
drop it into the episode right here mm-hmm. for the listeners at home. Well, Sunday night, my apartment is empty after a bottle lays on the floor. There's a blown out Alamo next to chewed out apple core. There's crayons on my coffee table and Play-Doh by a Bobby Horse stable. But yeah, I liked it. And I kind of like the idea of like a little baby Maya and Levin like living in the Chelsea Hotel and Ethan oh, Hawke yeah, like singing. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, he said that they were with him. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. When we get any of them on the pod, we'll ask them about their time <laughs> at the Chelsea. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, and then my last note was just it's a very much save the Chelsea from corporate management, like video. I wrote video, which it feels more like a, you know, mm-hmm. like a PSA kind of video than it does yeah. a focused documentary. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they are, they were, it was supposed to reopen in 2019. There was a little bit about it in the New York Times. Um, but I think it got, it's like been delayed multiple times oh no yeah so i guess there were still some people uh in the hotel as of at least 2019 um so it says yeah this is from the villager it says hotel chelsea work drags on as long-term tenants hold on so that was from july of last year um so i guess there were there were still some people that were staying there at least as of uh as if that year squatters <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's just, they just, the uh gothamist described it as construction hell um <laughs> so yeah that was yeah that was january last year they said in, inside the iconic hotel chelsea as it enters year eight of construction hell and tenants file lawsuit Ugh. so yeah it seems like they they were trying to they have been trying to like Update it and stuff, but, um, but that it's been. Would you go up and read the list of tenants that they have on there, on on that article? Oh, this one here. Yeah, there's like a li- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Twain, Dylan Thomas, Tennessee Williams, Jack Kerouac, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, who wrote 2001: A Space Odyssey. There, Edie Sedgwick, Elaine Stritch. Stanley Kubrick, Jane Fonda, Gabby Hoffman, Uma Thurman, and Ethan Hawke. Um, Patti Smith, The Grateful Dead, Jim Morrison, Joni Mitchell, Chick Corea, Jimi Hendrix, Madonna, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, and Janis Joplin. So many yeah. people. So many people. Yeah, definitely no shortage of icons. Yeah. It is interesting to like not at least like mention i feel like Leonard Cohen wasn't mentioned. Yeah, I don't think he was. And he has like an entire song about chelsea hotel mm-hmm. and it's like one of his better known songs it's called chelsea hotel <laughs> number two i think <laughs> yeah 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 Yeah, like it's not it's not like a i don't know it was just kind of uh, anyway whatever i'm a leonard cohen fan so that's that's my yeah that's it definitely angle. sounds like it <laughs> yeah you know you see it seems like your uh your frustration is justified <laughs> it's definitely angle. yeah it's definitely someone that you know seems like a, an odd choice to gloss over yeah for sure 
Yeah, I did, and that was interesting that both Arthur Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick lived there, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. Maybe, maybe they shared a room. Me- yeah, meeting of the minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I. My understanding is that the the novel wasn't okay. So didn't Stanley Kubrick and Arthur Clarke work on the story together? And then the movie came out first, and then the book came out. Oh, is, is that, that right? right? I don't know. Because I don't think it was like. I don't. I don't exactly remember. Because I remember like the book, was sort of like criticized because they some people felt that it like revealed too much. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. Compared with the movie, which is kind of like or the strength very, of the movie is that you don't really know. You don't really know what's yeah. going on. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I but I think it might have been like a weird case where the book, uh, like simultaneously. Yeah, or maybe came out hmm. even after 1968. Oh, no, yeah, they came out the same year. Wild. Yeah, so the movie, the movie was 1968 and the book, yeah, 1968. Interesting. That's fun. Yeah. But it was, but it was based on things that Clark had written before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know that I know Stanley Kubrick. He never like. He I don't think he ever made a movie that was, that that it was there, it was always based on something. Mm-hmm. Like it was always mm-hmm. based on a book or based on, which is not like a bad thing. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well. Uh. This is new for us. Usually, Jonathan has a hawk fact. I have but... a hawk fact. Oh, you have a hawk fact? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh no. I want, well, I know. I want to know what yours that. is. I won't know. No, I won't is. do it. No. no. I want to hear the guest. I want to hear the guest. <laughs> the guest hawk fact. Yeah, I was going to do a hawk fact. Yeah, let's because... hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. So, this movie's called Chelsea on the Rocks. So, I was thinking, what if there was a hawk made out of rocks? And there is. It's called Rock Hawk Effigy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, it's in georgia near the historic piedmont scenic byway um and it is like it is like a hawk head figure basically that's built out of rocks and this website rockhawk.org uh says it is not known who built the rock hawk effigy nor exactly when or why most of what we know comes from the limited research that has been conducted on the mounds and from speculation. The effigy was located on an on a land occupied by Native Americans before early settlers took ownership via treaties and land grants shortly after 1800. The effigy consists of milky quartz rocks and is in the shape of a hawk. Some of the rocks are so large that some archaeologists believe they were dragged there with the youths of deerskins. The hawk appears to be flying southeast. Wow. Can I see wow. the... Yeah. Let me see if I can make this photo bigger. Oh, okay. Let's see if I can... So it's like a sort of aerial type? Oh. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that's rock hawk for you. That's my hawk hey. fact. My first attempt at a hawk fact. Great. It was it was fun to, to see... Uh... Do you like my connecting... 
it how was I got good. there. Yeah, yeah thank good. you. I really worked on that. <laughs> and you see that it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Well, yeah. I did do it. Like it did take me thirty seconds to find that fact, but that's you know. <laughs> oh, so it was easy. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was easy, so but you it wasn't do my a great job in thirty seconds. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's fine. No, I understand. That's I just fine. want the people to know that Jonathan edited the last episode of Hawkeyes for me because I fell asleep. So we can share responsibilities. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, teamwork. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Did you? It looked like you had pulled up reviews of this movie. Which no, is, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> Maybe you could do uh, that. I feel now. like we can guess. Yeah, I don't know. I I actually have no idea how this movie would have been received. I think I read a little bit on Wikipedia, but but I don't have it in front of me, so I'll pull it. It up. seems like the kind of thing that maybe people would be into <laughs> and just you know from 2020 it maybe doesn't look so hot but at the time maybe people were like this is mm-hmm. good well i think there's kind of a oh interesting it has 71 on the tomato meter but 44 audience score interesting so, yeah. that's interesting mm, oh i got an av club review Ferrara's Chelsea on the Rocks attempts to capture the hotel at a transition point on the cusp of being transformed into one more ritzy Manhattan residency. Interviews with the likes of Milos Foreman and Vito, uh, I can't say his last name, Akanchi, attest to the hotel's gloriously decadent past and archive footage captures Janis Joplin and Rick Danko launching into an impromptu version of No More Cane on the Brazos. Uh... (laughs) Ferrara doesn't, there we go, Ferrara doesn't identify its subjects, perhaps out of a conviction that the Chelsea's grotty confines treat all comers equally, but the effect is to at least partly shut out anyone who can identify, say, painter Donald Beechler on site. Yeah. So, mm, oh, Ferrara's greatest misstep is the decision to reenact some of the most notorious episodes in the hotel's history. Uh, basically a lot of the things that we said yeah yeah makes sense yeah i think i think i'd agree with that (laughs) yeah yeah and that's from the av club in 2009 i generally feel like the av club has pretty measured takes on things yeah we haven't really pulled from them a lot because usually i just go um, go to you know our standards roger ebert variety new york Mm -hmm. times but that is kind of the thing that i like about like publications like that where you have uh that's why i don't really like watch a lot of like like those youtube videos where it's just like one person and they're i mean i know i'm saying this with full knowledge that like we have a podcast and we're saying our opinions Uh but sometimes i like i feel like (laughs) like people you get some reviewers and you know people have like idiosyncrasies that sometimes result in them like just demolishing a movie that is I you know that I would say is good or that other people might say is good or praising a movie that I would mm-hmm. I would not you know I, I that's kind of the thing that I like about like reading publications like the AV Club where it's like there's a rotating cast of reviewers mm-hmm. so that it usually ends up feeling a little bit more balanced yeah whereas if it's just one reviewer sometimes it feels like a little bit like did we need to give knowing four stars? Yeah. Know, kind of <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Roger. 
Um, okay, so I did find a uh, New York Times review as well. Is it Janet Maslin? Uh, it is Stephen Holden, old friend. Oh, it's okay. been a while, yeah. Um, and he says, Abel Ferrara's ramshackle documentary, Chelsea on the Rocks, is not, I repeat, not a sober history of the Chelsea Hotel. Uh, basically, yeah, and it's, again, it's a lot of the things we said. A hodgepodge. Mm-hmm. He refers to it disorderly. Um, yeah. uh, and then the final paragraph is, um, the hotel's biggest celebrity fan is Ethan Hawke, <laughs> who gratefully recalls that Mr. Bard gave him a room when his marriage was breaking up. Eight years ago, Mr. Hawk, who does a decent imitation of Mr. Bard's New York accent, filmed a fictional homage to the hotel, Chelsea Walls. It is marginally better than this one. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I feel like ramshackle is a really good Mm -hmm. uh, adjective. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Very good descriptor in this case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's. That's really Chelsea on the rocks. Do we have any any final thoughts or feelings or anything, Jamie? Anything more about Ethan Hawke that you'd like to say while you're on the pod? <laughs> uh, I would say that I uh, I continue to be a a strong Ethan Hawke fan, uh, despite Chelsea on the rocks, <laughs> and uh, I look. Oh oh no! Oh no! Oh, no. This is tragic. Oh crap, my computer just died. So sorry, let me grab another one. <laughs> oh no. I thought it was an internet thing. That happens. Oh hello. Hey, so sorry about that. No, no that's worries. okay. No worries. Yeah, we were just talking hey, about how Jonathan wishes am I, huh? am I still good on here? Yeah, can you hear us? Yes. Okay. Yeah, sorry, I did that thing where it jumped from like ten percent to to just oh, yeah, die. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll we'll wrap this up. I think okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I knew we were. I knew we were getting close, and then it. I yeah. Just went black on me, but I I just grabbed Chelsea's, so I'm good now. Cool. 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 Oh yeah, his fiance's name was Chelsea. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was why I, uh, very, perhaps unwisely chose <laughs> that one because I I hadn't really when you guys sent the selections I hadn't really heard of. Uh, any of them i don't think uh and so i was just like i was like oh i'll pick this one it sounds like uh i was telling her i was like oh it sounds like you know brooklyn's finest or some sort of mm-hmm. you know uh cop drama or something yeah. and, <laughs> and then i looked i was like oh this is a documentary and then i saw the poster and i was like oh this looks like a student film like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh yeah, I think well, like we I appreciate was you doing this one. Yeah, because yeah. I feel oh, like no you had problem. some you had some great insights. So definitely, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, hey, you guys have to do all of them. So I can't. Yeah, we did this to ourselves. Yeah, I can't. I can't back out. So, <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying, I'll. I I definitely I plan to continue being a, a strong uh, hawk fan, but uh, I'm definitely. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeking out more of his uh you know his uh feature films uh as opposed to uh other New York based documentaries that he's <laughs> yeah. he's involved in. Yeah. Uh I, I don't know if I'll be checking out 
uh, Chelsea Walls uh, or anything, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting back into to some to some of his stuff. Totally, yeah. Well, if you're looking at like movies that he's directed, I would totally recommend Blaze. That one's more recent, and he's definitely like okay. figured his shit out as a director. I think. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's that's a great it's like movie. A music. Yeah, it's a biopic. He's he's like you know music biopics are hard to do, but he's done a couple of strong ones because I think Blaze was pretty good. Yeah, and that one was kind of interesting because it, he's not as Blaze Foley's not as well known of a cultural figure, mm-hmm. and so you don't like we're with Elton John. It's like everyone knows who Elton yeah. John is, you know. So it's it's yeah. a little bit harder to like be fresh about it. Um, and I think also Born to Be Blue who's about someone more famous, who's Chet, Chet Baker. Baker. Yeah. I think that one was done really well, and he plays Chet Baker in that one. Yeah, I think music so music movie. biopics are, like, really hard to pull off. And I think that he's he's done a good job a couple times. So yeah. if you're interested <laughs> in those people, then then I would recommend those movies for sure. Yeah. And it, is Blaze the one he did last year? Uh, that was, like t- yeah, two years ago now. Cause, yeah, it was okay. pretty recently. Yeah, it wasn't that long. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. We saw him because we saw him do a Q and A like just shortly before we started doing this podcast. But was it for that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, um, I will definitely check out those uh, undeniably better Ethan Hawke vehicles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I've been Harper. You can find me at the internet at Harping About on Twitter and Letterboxd and uh, Instagram and wherever, probably. I don't know. Search Harping About. It's probably me. Um, and something I've been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawke lately is I listened to a couple audiobooks this week. Um, the first one was called Openly Straight, and the second one was the sequel called Honestly Ben. Um <laughs> And it's not as offensive as it sounds, I promise. <laughs> it was pretty cute. Um, so if you're looking for like a queer young adult novel wreck, that's my, uh, by Bill Konigsberg. Uh, yeah. Um, Jonathan, where can the people find you and what have you been enjoying? Okay, you can find me on IG and LB, that's Letterboxd, at <laughs> uh, John Zavaletta. Um, I post on Instagram like once a month and I occasionally use Letterboxd. I'm I'm a little more active than mm-hmm. I thought I would be. Yeah, you logged like a thousand movies in there. Yeah. So so, I've, so I, I use yeah. Letterboxd, which is fun. Nice. Uh, and a thing I've been enjoying, uh, I liked the uh, uh, LaRue put out a new album. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you haven't uh, heard from LaRue since 2009 then I, I in my opinion you're missing out um, some some good stuff a little a little bit of a different vibe um, but it's good so that's yeah yeah okay Jamie where can people find you what have you been enjoying and do you have anything else to plug uh, people can find me uh, I think across all the social medias I'm at Jay Woodham uh and then on letterboxd it's just uh jamie woodham um what i've been enjoying uh in keeping with what i was talking about earlier is uh me and my fiance chelsea not on the rocks have been uh we've been in a deep uh love island hole recently mm-hmm. um where we're we're both on hiatus right now uh and we're our weddings in a couple weeks and we have uh, a very young uh, baby puppy that we 
uh, adopted like a month ago. So all of those things have led to us both being home most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, we recently found Love Island and it's been great because it's trashy and lovely and there's like a million episodes of it. So we've just, uh, we've just dove in pretty hard on that. So I, I definitely recommend it if, uh, if reality TV is, is anywhere up your alley. Uh, as far as plugs, though, um, I don't think I have anything to plug other than, uh, you know, my, my letterbox and stuff. I love finding uh, new people on there who have good taste, who have very niche uh, actor-specific podcasts and <laughs> things, things, things like that. So, uh, yeah, feel free to, you know, find me on there and uh, let me know if we were wildly off base about Chelsea on the Rocks or not. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Everyone follow all three of us on Letterboxd. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. A delight. Um, we're going to end this, but I will ask you to stick around for a second so you could take a selfie with oh, the laptop yes, yes, yes. with you on it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Good night. <laughs> This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. It was edited by Harper Thompson, and our intro music, Hawk Song, is written and recorded by Connor Vance.